welcome to the Filipino American Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Henrik. This is my co-host, Aaron. And we're, today we're interviewing Pastor AJ Komoda. He's the Associate Pastor of the International Christian Fellowship, and he's part of the core team for the Asian American Collective of the SPC. And did I pronounce that right? Komoda or? <laughs> Komoda, yeah. Komoda. Okay, yeah. And before we get started, uh, we, we do have a free guide for you to download. It's called... Uh, the six pillars of a successful Philam young adult ministry. And basically we talk about our experience or we share about some lessons we learned from our experience and we condense them into six pillars. So you can download it in the link in the description. All right. So yeah, thank you, Pastor AJ for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. Really excited to be here with you guys. So thanks for inviting me. Oh yeah. Yeah. To start off, can you share about your story and how you came to faith? And also how you got into your current ministry as a, and as, a, as an associate pastor. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm fortunate to have grown up within the church. Um, my parents were a part of core families that were with Bible Church International. It's one of the larger Filipino Southern Baptist churches in New Jersey, they were part of the church when they were still renting in Jersey City, New Jersey, and eventually moved to Garfield. Um, and I came to the faith as, as a young kid, um, just practicing children's choir songs and just listening to what the messages were. And I just remember, I don't know if this is controversial for people, but I remember just being afraid of the idea of eternal separation and hell. So I was one of those kids who kind of got saved out of fear. But I don't know that I really lived it out for a long time. Like, and I guess that's the case for a lot of kids, where church for me was duty to my parents. And my faith for a long time was an extension of what my parents told me to do. But I had friends growing up, and they were like my best friends uh, in the church. So I was committed to going to the youth group as a kid. Um, and still doesn't mean I was living out the faith but I remember particularly after I graduated high school, even though I knew I was a Christian, I was playing in a bunch of different bands. And I always used to say I stuck with those bands, even though I was the only Christian, in hopes that I would influence people towards Jesus, except that wasn't really the case. I was really the one being influenced, right? Mm. And after I quit the last band I was playing with, I happened to be... I just agreed to go with my youth group to go to Brooklyn Tab, Brooklyn Tabernacle, where Charlie Hall, worship leader, was leading worship. And on the way to Brooklyn Tab, um, the guitarist for the last band I was in, he died in a drunk driving accident. Oh. And I just remember feeling I stuck in that band in hopes to share what I believed in, except I lived two-faced and half-heartedly my whole life and i remember this crushing weight feeling like if i was the only one who had chances to share what i believed in and a buddy of mine passed without me ever saying anything i i, I just remember feeling like this weight of i can't do this without giving all of myself anymore and it was super depressing for a bit and then all of a sudden, Charlie Hall played this song called Marvelous Light. And uh, it was like big for a bunch of us at the time, you know, and it was just like the, the pre-chorus was 
sin lost its power, death has lost its sting, you know, from the grave we've risen victoriously. And, and for the first time I was like, I get it. Um, And I feel like that was also the transition of when I started feeling the tug to, to love on other people, which eventually transitioned to me pursuing full-time ministry. So my undergrad, uh, in undergrad, I was originally studying first music theory. Eventually I transitioned to getting a degree in English literature and writing. And what's wild is I didn't know that everything I took my bachelor's in was gonna be a very good, albeit secular segue into full-time ministry because my degree is in advanced writing but I have a concentration in literary criticism mm. where everything I studied in the secular uh, school where I got a bachelor's of arts was reading through a text through specific lenses and writing critical analysis based on those lenses. So I learned doing feminist critiques, Marxist critiques, socialist critiques, um, and it without knowing it was my intro to hermeneutics and exegesis uh-huh. oh yeah and and it's still how i write now and it one of the things i do now as a pastor is i believe in a strict biblical worldview but i also believe in showing strict biblical worldview in contrast to what other worldviews are going to be so we're able to do those critiques so i finished my degree at uh just at the university I went to. And I immediately became the youth pastor at the church I grew up in, Bible Church International. And at this point, they moved from Garfield to Randolph. I was there for uh, what must have been six or seven years. And I resigned thinking that we were gonna move to North Carolina. We eventually stayed and I got headhunted to move to Rockland, New York as a youth pastor. And a year after coming to ICF, my lead pastor goes on sabbatical for six months. Mm. In my last church, I preached on a Sunday one like three times a year. It's hard to get good at preaching if you're preaching three times a year. Mm-hmm. So I go from preaching three times a year to when I come to ICF, I ask for the opportunity to preach once a month. My pastor says yes. When he goes on sabbatical, I'm now preaching four times a month. So I had to get good at compartmentalizing research and writing pretty quick. But those reps, I can't, I can't, I I can't explain how valuable that was for me in learning how to uh, compartmentalize research and, and time management. So when I was the interim lead pastor, I needed somebody to handle youth ministry for me. So I took on an intern. And when our pastor was coming back, I told our leadership, you know, I I knew coming here that I wasn't going to be called to youth ministry long term. And I said, I had agreed to it for this long and find another youth pastor. And I think that time has come. And if you guys decide that you feel like ICF should have two pastors, my recommendation is that you keep pastor. His name is RJ as the youth pastor and I'll go on my way. Um, But if you wanna keep me on, I am willing to come on as an associate pastor and grow particularly in 
looking at areas of discipleship and um, ministry beyond high school and college. And I had a focus more on saturating our local community and creating outreach opportunities, as well as looking at what discipleship was like in our church. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm the associate pastor um, in my church now. One of the main focuses that I have is leading our church through this transition of what our like who we're casting our nets towards in terms of transitioning away from being a Filipino church, basically. Oh, okay. So it's becoming more multi-ethnic? Yeah. But so this could be like a longer conversation. I feel like a lot of Filipino churches love the idea of being multi-ethnic. And I'll argue that Filipino churches of any ethnic church might be most set up to be multi-ethnic because Filipino churches are the ones who are probably already preaching and singing in English. Mm. Um, we are very culturally adaptive. Um, but just because a church has the desire to be multi-ethnic doesn't mean that they're actually set up to be multi-ethnic. And I think churches need to see what the cost is to really grow towards that and then ask themselves if they're willing to count the cost in order to be multi-ethnic. Because the thing is, there's nothing wrong with being any kind of niche church, whether it be some kind of traditionalism or ethnic group. And then that also means the multi-ethnic part of some of those churches will be other ethnicities that are just willing to be a part of a Filipino church, as opposed to that doesn't really make them multi-ethnic, right? But if you're really going to be multi-ethnic and represent your community, there are going to be a lot of things that you have to be willing to let go. And that's some of the things we are trying to walk through in our church and also coach other churches through as well. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, I'm curious, can you share more like the costs that you mentioned? So a lot of Filipino churches are who are listening probably have this uh, goal in mind. They probably want to mm -hmm. become multi-ethnic as well. So what kind of uh, cost or advice do you give to the, the want, want to give this to those churches? Yeah, it's things like um, where do we where do we celebrate our um, like our heritage? Um, there versus where is it just naturally in what we do? Um, I. I would say one of the biggest things we do where I'm trying to push in our church now is evaluate everything we do from top to bottom through the eyes of the people that we're casting our nets towards. And as we're trying to move our church to be um, in a locally incarnational church, we look at the demographic of the people surrounding us. And as they're the ones coming into our church, the majority of our newcomers are from our community and are for the most part are non-Filipino. So I wanted to think, like, how do they see the things that we do? And that'll be, um, how do we do even um, casual greetings, you know, um, where even though I'm, we're preaching in English, sometimes if you feel comfortable in a largely Filipino setting, you will still slip in, you know, Tagalog mm. in conversation. And you might not take the moment to translate that. And the thing is, I don't think it's wrong to speak Tagalog, but if you're not taking the time to translate it, 
then you're in that moment, you are disregarding somebody who's not Filipino. Um, it'll also be, who do you invite as guest speakers um, or as like guest choirs? You know, um, how often, and I don't think it's wrong for churches to invite pastors from the Philippines when they're in the area to speak at their church. It's a, it's a good mutual opportunity. But what I'm saying is if your goal is to grow, really grow towards multi-ethnic because you want to saturate, uh, you want to be incarnational in the area that you're in, which is likely a multicultural area, then it shows in the initiatives that you take. And for me, it's like the guests that we bring in, um, like, are we going to try to make sure people feel represented with who we invite? Um, things like that. And mm -hmm. yeah. it doesn't mean we, we have people not speak in their mother tongue. It, but it is like from the public spaces, um, from stages, uh, what do we do? Yeah, things like that. Mm, okay. I see. So can you... I'm also interested, could you explain some of the outreach efforts you're doing in your community? Like, how do you bring in those, like, people from your local community into your church? Basically, um, it's a it's a growing process. We're still getting to know it, but, man, you, you need to just be involved in, in what's going on. You know, you need to look at all the boards. If there, to me, there's a couple no-brainers for churches in terms of a local community. If there is a street fair in your town, you need to have a booth in that street fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, all, all we do in our street fair is we are a booth. We give away Bibles. We let people know that we're the church in their town. We give away free food and free drink, you know? Mm. And, and then when people are walking around, we straight up just ask people, you know, can we, can we pray for you? And what's wild is non-Christians don't typically turn that down. Yeah. Mm. You know, because everybody's going through something yeah. and nobody is going to be like, hey, man, can I pray for you and encourage you? Tip people aren't going to be like, oh, no, man, I don't believe in that. Don't pray for me. Don't encourage me. <laughs> A lot of times people are like, you know, I don't really believe in that. And I'll just be like, would you mind if I pray for you anyway? I feel like everybody's going through something. And if you're down to just have me hear you out, I'm, we're right here. And mm. it's been cool. And we've had people come through as a result of that. So to me, street fairs are a no-brainer. Getting involved in things like local schools, PTA. Um, and mm. like we had, we had the local Girl Scout troop use our kitchen, you know. And to me, I don't know why we didn't think of this before, where I feel like I want my church to be known as a place of generosity in our community where they reached out to us. They're like, you know, we have a Girl Scout thing. We were doing like a, a baking event and we want to know if you'd let us rent your kitchen. And I met with our, our board and I was like, this is a no brainer, right? We should let them use this for free. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, we should. And they're asking, can we give you guys anything? I was like, no, like we are excited to have you guys with us. And we know that's left an impression on them because some of them have been joining us as guests since then. You know? Oh, wow. We want to be known in our community for our, our generosity, you know? Right. So it's things that's along good. those lines. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a good then, principle. Yeah. 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 So it's a combination of 
man, if there's things going on in the community, be there, whether it's officially or unofficially, like officially, yeah, have a booth. Unofficially, walk around and get to know people, you know, just, just be relational. And then whenever we're doing like events here, it still means walk around and be relational. And I think that's one of the hard asks for Filipino churches, because if we're going to think about the trajectory of a Filipino church towards multicultural and incarnational in the community, um, I don't know if this is the same for, for you guys, but around here, Filipinos will go from further away to join together with like people, right? Right. So not everybody from my church is from this immediate area. Mm -hmm. um, like growing up, my family drove 40 minutes to go to church <laughs> just to be with other Filipinos. And yeah. now I'm asking Filipinos to do the opposite where, Hey, you were willing to come from further away to be here, but now would you invest locally so that the people who are within a five to 10 minute drive are, are down to be with us. So then that transition is hard because some of those guys that I'm asking to invest here are not naturally from here. You know, I'd, I, I could talk about PTA. I'm the one who's on the PTA because I'm the one who's here. Like I couldn't ask any of my elders to be a part of the PTA in, in this specific town because none of them are from this town. Mm -hmm. So, but those are the things that we're learning along the way. Wow, that's uh, that's very uh, new and like it's like you're going in uncharted territory there. <laughs> yeah, it's really uncomfortable to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I had a question though, and um, I'd really want to uh, explore your thoughts on this because you know we have a lot of of, of course Filipino American pastor listeners. And this uh, thought of moving towards uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural, yeah, you know, in our, in our context, yeah. right? In our context, is 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 always something that you know we're we're thinking about. Yeah. So I want to know, like, how did you guys? So if I get this right, your church started off as just a f regular Filipino American church, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how did you guys decide or what were the factors that led you into moving towards more of, hey, let's go more multi-ethnic Multi yeah. as opposed to like staying as a, like a nation, uh, yeah. you know, American church. I mean, what were the things that you guys considered in going towards that? And, and is there something that you're losing also in doing this that you kind of miss? Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about this too. And I'm at the point where sometimes I wonder how many churches actually, or and if we're going to talk strictly about Filipino American churches, I don't know how many Filipino churches now intend to be Filipino churches. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of Filipino churches are Filipino churches because that's what their strengths are, because that's what brought us together. And that's why I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I, but I think that there ha have always been aspirations of multiculturalism, because even though churches were dominantly ethnic, 
we still were able to bring in people who are not whether it be because you invited somebody who is married to a non-Filipino or because you're friendly enough to invite um, a non-Filipino family or person, they're willing to hang out because that person was culturally adaptive. Uh, but I think that has always spur, uh, spurred a lot of ideas of maybe we don't stay so niche to this. So a lot of people are like, let's, let's not be specifically Filipino. But that doesn't mean that every church um is willing to like i said do intentionally be multi-ethnic some people are just willing to be like hey uh whoever joins us joins us and there's nothing wrong with that i see a lot of churches that have doses of uh multiculturalism but really i don't mean this as a as as a knock i feel like some of those multicultural doses are kind of token doses do you know what i mean yeah, I, mean, like I, I know what you mean. Yeah, like uh, like the family that is in a in a Filipino church, like it's almost like that is a token family where it's still honestly a Filipino church, and to me, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, whereas now uh, we're pushing our church to purposely be multicultural, um, and the story of our church is. Before I got to ICF, ICF was renting at this older, aging out white church. And all of a sudden, the, the wife of that church's pastor had passed away. And the pastor decided to retire. And the existing members of that church that owned the building had a vote together. And they decided, and this is not normal. So I can't use this as the blueprint, but they decided to give ICF the building for free. Wow. And then they also told them if they would be welcome, that whoever was willing to would just join ICF's membership. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, a, a fairly large pocket of older um, white congregants became members of ICF. Um, this is before I ever got here. But again, that was also like a, a bit of an older demographic. And mm. over time, like newcomers that would join us would be non-Filipino. Like we have like a, like a Haitian pocket of people, Jamaican, um, Latino, different kinds of Asian. Um, and we have a lot of uh, like multi-ethnic families like one couple that I disciple is Taiwanese and Haitian. Um, you know, we have Filipino and African American. Mm. Yeah. And, but as far as like, is there anything that we lose? Um, yeah, there are going to be things that we lose and we're going to be tempted to miss, but it, it doesn't have to be losing it all the time. Like one of the things is, you know, we, we can celebrate, being Filipino in the food that we eat, you know, where we do lunch twice a month and every now and then lunch will be Filipino. And, but the thing is it won't just be Filipino because sometimes the lunch will also be Haitian. And I don't know if you've ever had Haitian food with Filipino food. It is delicious. Like I can't tell you how delicious um, Haitian black rice is with seasick. It's <laughs> that sounds like a good mix or a good combo. Oh, it's it's an amazing mix. So I think one of the things I I believe about multiculturalism is we just learn how to celebrate all of it, right? 
um, like for the people in our congregation that is Haitian, um, we, and it's hard because you don't, you sometimes wonder if you're towing the lines of tokenism, but I just want to celebrate people for, for who they are and the fact that we're together and they're glad to share um, their backgrounds too. And I think it happens when we just are willing to hear and celebrate people's individual stories and their individual stories will naturally include um, their background, their cultural background. And I believe that multi-ethnic churches is just gonna be a place where we celebrate um, everybody's stories coming together. It's just that tapestry, right? And ours is just developing that way, yeah. Mm, yeah. I do have a follow-up question on that. Thank you, by the way. I think that's it. Yeah, please, please. Um, so how do you guys think of your church now? Do you think of your church as just ICF or do you think we're a Philam church or like, you know what I mean? Like how do you- You, 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 ask, uh, you ask a different person, we might give you different answers. Um, I would still say that we're, we're clearly dominantly Filipino in terms of the makeup of our church. Um, and we just know that we're- transitioning towards whatever god built us to be you know and right now we use things like multi-ethnic and we use multi-ethnic really only in certain spaces um at certain like leadership tables right we don't we don't broadcast multi-ethnic in the same way that we don't broadcast filipino right like we just broadcast local church um you know um like we don't in the same way that we're not telling, uh, we're not telling Filipinos come here because there's Filipinos, but they might come here because there are Filipinos. Right, right, right. Um, and we're also not telling people who are not Filipino come here because it's not just Filipino. Right. But, like, but you guys we, are... we just hope that people make connections. Right. But you guys are vision casting towards going multi. Yeah. At least right now, you know, this is the first time we're making. We've always had the vision for it, right? But now I'm leading the transition and evaluation. And the, the unkind words that I'll say is, I, I'm just putting our church in a position where I'm saying, it's kind of time to put up or shut up, right? Right, right. And where I'm saying, there's nothing wrong with being a niche church. Uh, I'm just letting our church know that I know, I feel like the kind of church that I'm being led to pastor is going to be one that is more multi-ethnic and even if apart from multi-ethnic is really incarnational within the community and i'm saying to the church where i believe that we can grow this way and but i've also told the church but if you feel like you're called to be dominantly filipino and dominantly let's say traditional there's nothing wrong with that uh, at that point i would say would you be willing to partner with us instead and I think that's one of the choices that um, a lot of churches don't realize they have. You know, when it comes to the second gen population, I believe that should, there should be discipleship regardless. But I feel like in terms of what does it look like to do ministry with second gens, sometimes we limit it to this place right. where we assume that second gen ministry in my church is only working if it's happening in this space where I could put my brand on it, where we have to remember that this is about the kingdom, not my kingdom. 
and not my church's kingdom. So what does it look like to really still expand ministry, even if it means sacrificing a second gen population in this current iteration of it, you know, for the sake of letting it grow somewhere else. It's the equivalent of taking a, um, a, a sprouting plant and putting it into a larger pot so it can grow. You know, right. But, so wow wow and that's a hard conversation yeah yeah, and that's not even something that we're going through we're hoping that we could remain blended because i believe that there's a lot of richness in in multi-generationalism you know in in older senior members realizing that you need to connect with younger members because you have experience that you can teach um, but you also have to see that younger members are not just naive, that they also know this culture arguably better than any of you do, right. which is why they're worth listening to as well as pouring into. And then younger members, we're telling them, hey, um, they're worth listening to because um, they're, they could be like potential spiritual like fathers in the faith and they have a lot of life experience. Like they're, they should be worth getting to know. So that's why I believe a lot of what we do in ministry is also just facilitating connections, which is why I believe in multi-generationalism. But, but if it doesn't work, then I would say, you know, would you just invest in this? Right. right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, as a, you know, as a pastor trying to move toward, as a second gen fellow ambassador trying to move towards multiculturalism and all of this, uh, like you said, right. I mean, it's, it's a very messy thing to yeah. actually attempt or be in a multicultural church. Yeah. Just I, I just keep on bringing up Luke 15. Um, so it's really like, what is it like to be, to have really a heart for the one? If we're going to use the sheep and the prodigal son in particular, uh, one of the things we looked at is like, what is it like to have a heart for the one where, man, like how many times are we really just taking care of the herd? And like, they're already Christian, man, you know? And what we're trying to tell Christians in our church is you're already one of the 99. Would you grow to now have the heart of the shepherd? Right. And realize that there's even ourselves, there's nothing that is beyond sacrificing for the sake of the salvation of the one, right. which is worth celebrating. That's the context of it, right? The Pharisees were acting like, the people that Jesus was sitting with, they weren't worth celebrating if they came to, um, to salvation. Right. And then what he, that's what he's saying in the prodigal son too, when the older brother didn't celebrate um, the prodigal son's coming home. It's like, no, realize like their salvation is worth sacrificing everything for the sake of celebrating. And the other term that we use is no sacred cows, you know, where the father sacrifices a cow when his son comes home. And what we're, what I try to tell our church is there's nothing that isn't worth sacrificing for the sake of reaching out to people, you know, whether it be things that we do, things that used to work, um, would you be willing to let go of it if it meant that we could reach more people Right, just right. for salvation you know and this changes this changes even the things that we talk about you know like we have a lot of people who think that we should be preaching stricter from a from certain points of view on things uh let's say we did a series walking through revelation and some people feel like i didn't preach as enough of a dispensationalist and i mm -hmm. go dispensationalism is not on par with the gospel 
we're going to be clear about things that are strictly about the gospel. But the things that are debatable and speculative at best, um, we're going to leave that to speculation. And we're going to remain united on the things that are most important. So we brought up like Ephesians 2 at that point, right? So <laughs> yeah, to me, no sacred cows, um, no silver bullets at the same time. You know, like we're not looking for any cure-all to fix everything. We're just committing to the process and I'm just trying to encourage our church, hey, like, are we willing to let go of certain things? Um, the, the term we use is zero-sum mentality, where there's no such thing as any innocent yes. Every time you're saying yes to doing something in ministry, you are potentially saying no to doing something else. But if you're willing to say no to something, you are giving yourself the ability to, to maybe say yes to the right thing down the line. And that's, that is also what I'm saying, like in counting the cost. Right. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of counting the cost, I was going to ask you earlier because you guys are thinking about moving towards multiculturalism and there are difficulties with that because, uh, you know, not every church is equipped to. Yeah. The thing is, again, like we might not even be really equipped, but we're just going to see if we can give it our shot. Personally, in in your church, what hindrances do you see in moving towards? If you know, if if a pastor, a Filipino pastor, wants to move towards multiculturalism in your context, what are some of the biggest like hindrances that you see in moving towards that? I mean, you kind of mentioned one already with um, you know, with not having the desire to reach out for to the one, right? That that kind yeah. of. Are there like cultural think- things? There are. Um, I don't know if it's specifically a Filipino thing, but I'll say just a human thing is the two terms I'll use is anecdotal evidence as well as past success. Um, And I think that sometimes those things are hindrances. Anecdotal evidence, it will be like, oh, but we reached out to this person this way. Hmm. So obviously that should be set in stone. And what we're saying is like, just because it worked there doesn't mean that that should be the way we do things. Um, And by past successes, it's obviously saying, oh, but this, like, look at who came when we did this. We used to do this and it worked. Think about how successful the youth group was when it used to got, when it was run this way, we should run it like that again. And I don't think that using past success is always conducive for growing forward either. Those are two things that I bring up right away. Um, but yeah, and then it's also, I'd say just the lens of who you're thinking of when you try to do things, you know, like when, let's say when it comes to like a new initiatives that we want to take, um, like uh, we were doing strategic planning and we had a member say, we haven't had a sunrise service for Easter since we were at this place. And, you know, my initial reaction is as, as a Christian, I do love the idea of a sunrise service. There's something that tugs on my heartstrings when it comes to having a service that's early, you're closer to what you would think of as like the time of like death and resurrection of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I said this, why and for who? They're like, yeah, because it's it's a good thing to do. And I was like, okay, who you're thinking about when you're doing this? They're like, yeah, we can invite uh, people from this church, people from that church. And I'm guys, you are are thinking of Christians already. 
And I'm like, we're trying to think of non-Christians. Why are you making it less convenient for a person to go to church on one of the days where a non-Christian is probably most willing to go to church? And so that's the conviction I'm trying to place with my people. I was like, who are we thinking of when it comes to these initiatives? And I think not even thinking multiculturalism, I'm talking about just the lens of actually reaching out. Like, who are we thinking of? Mm, and yeah. But if God works in a way where for some reason, if we have a five o'clock service and a bunch of non-Christians show up, that's why I'm saying this is a bit of an evaluation year. If like, a t- if like even let's say like, five to 10 non-Christians show up and they come to know the Lord through this. And I'll say, you know what, then we'll keep going through it because for some reason God is working through this. Mm. But I'm just saying, even in our motives, like we were thinking of ourselves and as Christians, we are thinking of what we like and we were thinking of what we assume other Christians like. And what I'm saying is the lens of the lost ones that's what we're trying to develop. And I believe that that ends up translating into multiculturalism because I want churches to adopt a lens where we look at everything we do through the eyes of a non-Christian. And oftentimes the non-Christians that are wandering into our churches right now for us are non-Filipino. So I want us to look at it all. Like, how would they look at everything we do? How do they look at the way we do announcements? How do they look at um, the next gathering that they get invited to? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, framework, Pastor AJ. Yeah. yeah, those are good things to think about when you're doing a lot of planning uh, for your church. Uh, well, I'm going to ask one last question. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, we originally were going to talk about second gen, but uh, it turned into just multi- about multi-ethnic churches, but which is good. And um, we can talk about they kind gen. of inter- they kind of like um, interplay with each other, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, we can we can reserve that for the next time we invite you. So but I'm down. Great, great. But um, so I think my last question is, um, so you said that it's OK to be a niche church. And um, I think my last question is like. Uh, if it's okay to be like a Filipino church or Filipino American church, uh, what is the um, thing that, what is the thing that draws you to want to pursue becoming a multi-ethnic church or being more multicultural? You know, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that. I just, I think one of the draws I have with, so I, I have a, I have a mentor and friend who, was first running um, an English ministry at a Chinese church that eventually planted into its own church. And he says one of the things that he loves about his church is his vision of heaven is gonna look like every tribe worshiping together. And he loves that some churches have the opportunity to mirror that on earth, you know? And I don't know that that means we make an idol of that as well. So I think sometimes my answer to this is going to be, um, be whatever your church is going to grow to be and don't make an idol out of either one. Like, I don't think we should make an idol out of multiculturalism. I think if we right. grow towards it, um, do it and be willing to do what it takes to grow towards it. But if it ends up growing the other way, um, don't 
don't make an idol out of multiculturalism in a way that it prevents you from being the growing ethnic church that you might be called to be either. So we, I have a friend who ended up pastoring a church that way, where he initially planted out of a Korean church, purposely hoping to be a multi-ethnic church. And at, for a while they were, like their core was more multi-ethnic, but as almost like not exactly intentionally, but hmm. clearly all the people that were getting baptized into their church were Korean American. Right. They had no reason to not keep growing towards that. You know, they, they yeah. just accepted their identity in that. Like, and sometimes we have to realize there's no shame in that. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we count, we count things like as a loss or a failure. And I, I just don't see that that's the case. I feel, I believe we're allowed to try things. And if it doesn't work, um, every failure is really just a season. You know, and we just grow into whatever the next season is. And that, that might be the case for my church right now. We're going to see, I believe it's worth seeing what we can do pushing to be a multi-ethnic church. And, and if it doesn't work out, then we still take it as it was a season. The people that we are ministering to right now is still worth it. You know, we have revolving doors anyway. So right. we're walking with the people now, if we send them on their way and if people get called out because they're not called to be the kind of church we're being, we're growing towards now or we'll grow towards later on, we lovingly send people to the next place because again, this is about the kingdom as opposed to our kingdom. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for, thanks Pastor AJ for coming on. And uh, you shared a lot of good in insight for Filipino American churches who are seeking to become multi-ethnic. And uh, if uh, people want to reach out to you or if people want to hear more about more from you, where, where can they go online to hear more about you? Um, you know what? Emailing me tends to work pretty well. AJKomoda at gmail.com. Um, oddly enough, one of the other good places to catch me is, uh, is on IG. Okay. Um, I, I still have a, my old powerlifting name on that. So it's the Komoda dragon. With <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'll it's Komoda as opposed to Komodo. Yeah. Feel free to Komodo, put Okay. Right. Yeah. I'll link yeah. those. I'll put those in the description as well for our viewers. And yeah. Um, and yeah. you know, again, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, like coaching online with people as well. Uh, we do a lot of, just mentorship and discipleship with people that are just around different parts of the country where I, I am pretty adept when it comes to filling up my calendar throughout my week with people who just need like an hour session for either a safe space or a brainstorming space. So, so for you guys or anybody listening, um, man, just, I'm always down to fill up my calendar just for, to be a supplemental resource to help people grow. So. Oh, that's, that's very nice of you, Pastor AJ. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you uh, uh, for coming on. And uh, we hope to invite you again so we can hear about the second gen. Oh, yeah. Second definitely. Gen. yeah. <laughs> I know I could be a bit of a talker, so I didn't get quite into all the things you want to get to. But yeah, I'm always down to come on again. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.